0: The Perth Football Podcast is proudly brought to you by Macron Store Perth, an industry leader in quality teamwear specialising in grassroots, semi-pro and professional team attire. Visit the Macron Sports Hub Perth Facebook page for more. Thank you to Macron for helping us keep the pod running and for their continuous involvement in community sport.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Perth Football Podcast. I'm your host for today, Kalichi Sunwa. Sean, he's, 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 I think he's got a concussion right now, but we're trying to try to get him back for part two. Uh, I am joined by uh, Mr. Football WA, Tommy Dom. and Tommy, how are you, mate? You well? I'm well, thanks, Kalichi. And another Mr. Football, but Mr. Football State League Division 1. What's the name of that league again called this time?
2: I don't know, it'll probably change in about two weeks' time again, so you never know. Cool, but what's
1: it called right now? Women's League Division 1. Women's League Division 1, and your name, good sir. Uh,
2: <laughs> you don't know it?
1: Better Zim, better Better. you're keeping we well?
2: Yeah, keeping well, doing, doing what I do, win, you know, but... It's <laughs> <laughs> Great. And we.
3: You did, we, in, foot, you did in, in futsal on Saturday night. Oh, yes. This is all what right. we're here
1: what, for. Was it a loss, though? This is what we're. You just said all you do is win, and now <laughs> you're saying it wasn't a loss. Uh, you said Mr. Clearly, Football. Clearly, all you DJ do is. DJ Callard. <laughs> Mr. Football, not Mr. Futsal all right? <laughs> all you, anyway, the person who corrected him there, who was given, it was really gracious enough to give us his time while he's doing a reconnaissance mission, um, is uh, Subiaco <laughs> coach Greg Farrell. Greg, hope you're doing well, mate. You well? Thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm good. Hope you're all the same, mate. We are. Uh, yeah, glad to hear your voice. Glad to, um, especially after the Monday FC game, which we'll get onto in a bit. But <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get straight into it. Two wins of the bounce, mate. How's that feel?
3: Yeah, it's a nice feeling. Uh, the first time this season. Obviously, we had um, a couple of results similar last season, especially towards the end of the season, but certainly um, has been a little longer in in coming than we had planned it to be but um, the players have have been working very hard and despite the attempts from certain podcast staff <laughs> members to, to to put a commentator's curse on us oh, good um, we, we managed we managed to get the win and it's uh, I have said to to bet him and his football teammates who I also coach and mm. a lot of other players who I coach in various things. The reason that I've shaved my head now is because of games like that. Um, but despite the the situation conceding a goal in the, I think it was the fourth minute of what really should have been about one minute of injury time. We then scored a winner in about the seventh minute of injury time. So it was like, the resilience of the players has been terrific and and we're still improving but it certainly would be nice to to not have the added blood pressure that comes along with that sort of a game. You've
1: mentioned the blood pressure and you've mentioned clearly that you're losing your hair, but in in that moment, right, what was going through your mind? Because I'm doing the podcast, watching this live, and just singing praises for this team that I've been backing the last few weeks going, they're about to win. I know they're about to win. I know they're a good side. And it's like, oh, goodness gracious me. But 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 you were there on the sideline watching this unfold. What was like
3: for you oh it's there's there's obviously a lot of different things that are going through your mind and you're trying to work out how to if you can make a change of personnel or position which might just shore things up and all of that sort of stuff and then you you're checking your watch and you can't figure out how what feels like has just been another minute has only actually been 10 seconds and then you look down again and and it's been more than three minutes of injury time and so you'd for the fourth time asking the referee how long he's going to play um so it, it is kind of a, a whirlwind of of emotion uh and sort of just lots of different thoughts like i said about how you can close things up and finish things off um but you got to give a lot of credit to the melville players as well like they they had 10 players for the last seven or eight minutes when i think it was daniel brown got injured um and they did not stop working and maybe a little bit of a little bit of luck and a nice volley from the edge of the box um from nicolina iarino got them back level um but like i said it's kind of well the situation where you just want what's best for your players, and and mm. they went and got it. So um, it was, I suppose, as much relief when we did eventually score the winner as anything else.
2: Well, Greg, I've been on the, uh, I've played for you, so I've seen those times where things happen you don't like. Usually in football, there's a wall which you start banging on. <laughs> um, how do you take your frustration out in um, football games when there's no wall near? You?
1: I rub my head. <laughs> well, we've got the name of the we've got the name of the podcast. Yeah, title. I,
3: you, you, you can go back through all of the videos, and you'll see me rubbing my head, scratching it, trying to not show too many visible signs of
4: uh, confusion, frustration, whatever it is. To turn this away from your head, Greg, Um, in in terms of of that result, though, just to touch on that finally, um, how proud were you of of the resolve that the players did show? I know you were saying that there maybe was a little luck in terms of having that extra player um, partially, but for a team this year um, where you maybe quite haven't had the breaks in games this season, as you may have liked, it would have been so easy for the players to just put their heads down after that 2-2 draw and be happy to defend that out. So you must be really proud that they were able to sort of dig in, push forward, get that extra goal, and then obviously back it up with a good win on Friday night, seven goals, and that will give them plenty of confidence as well for the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, well, and that was – it was actually so – my my first game in charge of Subiaco last year was against MUP and we we got a nil nil draw at um, best team stadium and, mm-hmm. and after the game one of the one of the players who had been at Subiaco for a while was nearly in tears and sort of said, like, this is the best result that we've ever had here wow. by miles the, the last two I think the last two times that they'd played there they'd conceded a combined 16 goals. And she just sort of said, like, well, I've never left here not feeling highly embarrassed and, and horrible about the game. So sort of that game on the weekend, last weekend against mum, was probably the next step in, in hopefully the evolution of the club where the previous best result was a nil-nil draw and as you say, the players showed and it, it, it came from the front. Like it came from, from Mariana, from um, Siena Kravacora, from the Dakota scoring the, the second goal, Savannah Ulsthorn, um even then the, the midfielders and it, our, our back three, when that first ball went forward straight after the off, everybody was going forwards. Everybody wanted to at least have the opportunity to get a winner. Um, so I, I said to them after the game that I was exceptionally proud, um, and, and not just because we won, but because of the mentality that it shows whether or not we did get the winner, I would have been very disappointed had we passed the ball backwards and passed the ball backwards and then lumped it forwards where the, the intention was for all of them. Okay. Well, we've just conceded. Let's see if we can go get a winner in however long there is left. And, and that was what ended up happening. So, um, we coaches and and people involved in the administration of football sort of always talk about how you you want the development of the game to be one of the the biggest and and guiding factors in in most of what you do. Mm. Some situations, it's just a matter of people showing heart and desire and and the rest of it hopefully takes care of itself.
1: You mentioned that heart and desire, and I've just gone back and looked at the fixtures, that you, or the results really. And at that time, I think I think the one that really like caught my eye was the three three against Balcata, and then you followed up by a narrow three one loss. But for the majority of the game, it was two one, and you had chances at two one to make a two two, and then that followed up with I think Fremantle scoring late again to to beat you three one. Like, what are you telling the players at that time? Because it's one of those things where it's like a deflected shot goes your way and you win, or, or a red card or a yellow card, and it's just the, the very fine moments of football. What are you telling them then? And especially after the the two seven nils, where you're not a seven nil lost team. Um, I, yeah, I, I just want to know what you were telling them because they obviously kept fighting for you, and you could see that you could see that fight and resolve in round fifteen against Mum.
3: Yeah, well, and I think since I came on board last year, one of the things that I've said to the players is that I don't like, we'll make mistakes, myself included. Everyone's going to get things wrong, but what we need to do is get more things right. We need to change the, the mentality and the culture, and also from externally the way that we are perceived as a football side and as a football club with the female side of Subiaco from what it used to be to one where we are considered a, a team that will pass the ball around. We'll try and use our individual abilities and, and back each other to play good football. And I think we've there's, there's been a, a, a big shift and, and we're still certainly nowhere near where we want to be, but that confidence and I think just telling the players that I back them and, and I have that belief in them and I would rather they give away a goal, they make a mistake because they're trying to play the right way than for them to just boot the ball. That that makes me more angry. That makes me more worried and concerned about what we're doing than if you try and have a touch and, and play a, a pass that, that maybe you just get a little bit wrong because at least then the mentality is, is working. There's belief in what we're doing and in each other and in yourselves. And I think backing players, even if there are, in the short term, there are hard days, eventually it pays off. Eventually players get better and get good enough to not make those mistakes. And I have just continued and continued to reiterate that. And I think we've had situations where we've lost goalkeepers with injuries. I think um, think Tommy may have said it the other night, we're on to our fifth one. And it just so happens to be my midfielder fiance Annie, who is a football goalkeeper. Um, but I, last week after we had multiple injuries, I sort of at training was talking to some of the players and said, Is anybody willing to put their hand up to go and goals against mum on the weekend? And not, nobody put their hand up. And I, out of the corner of my eye, sort of looked at me and didn't say anything. And, and, and then later on, later on had the discussion with her and it went quite well. She had some assistance from um, Marissa Pigeon and, and Ash Riddle and, and um, AJ, who's one of our, our young goalkeeper coaches. So there was certainly no shortage of assistance for her on the day, but the the biggest thing for for her and for the players was it was what she could do to help the team. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like I said, I think I've backed the players as much as possible and just sort of said, go learn, make mistakes, we'll get better. And we have been unlucky with injuries, with results. And I think you talked about it in, I can't remember which podcast it was, but the, the game that we ended up losing to Perth, I think 3-1 at at 2-1 down Dakota um, had a one-on-one with Beck Bennett and Beck made a very good save. Like it's those little things when you're at the bottom of the table tend not to go your way and Perth go down the other end and and our goalkeeper gets a dislocated shoulder and then we can see the third goal. So it's that sort of stuff which hasn't gone our way enough, but we've got, I think, six games left and whether or not we can make the semi-finals or not is not really of too much consequence, but if we can at least have some say on what the makeup of the top four is, then we will have had a, a successful season. And. Maybe we can just scare a few people enough to to (laughs) jag a top four spot. But who knows?
2: Well, Greg, going off the um, development, you said that things take time. And obviously, two wins in a row shows development. Going into Balcada, because it was a 3-3 draw last time, which I watched the game. Could have gone either way, to be honest. What's the vibe and confidence like now within the team? Two wins now, Balcada next, who you know you you could potentially beat. What's the thoughts there? (laughs)
3: Yeah, I think, well, the, the, the players are certainly positive. Um, we, even against Melville, we had had a couple of players unavailable. Um, and uh, But I do think winning games breeds confidence. Scoring goals breeds confidence. So to have the win against Melville and then the win against Curtin on Friday night certainly puts it in a... A more positive frame of mind and, and mental space than we were two weeks ago as a, as a playing group. Um, but it, it's obviously also then a very different challenge, too. Um, the the Balkadder side, who lost to the NTC 2 1 on the weekend, was missing four or five players who combined have probably got nearly a thousand games of MPL slash Premier League level experience between
1: them. A thousand so, games is crazy. <laughs>
3: Yeah. So if, if you, you're talking about that level of experience missing from a team, um, if they get those players back for this weekend, then obviously the, the task is a little bit harder, but um, we, I think the, the players and, and actually having the World Cup on has been a nice, uh, not, not distraction, but a nice accompaniment. Everyone's watching the games and enjoying it and, and the positivity around the tournament itself, I think has had a bit of a positive effect on the players as well. Um, seeing the fuss and the, I guess the excitement being generated by a female football tournament is is certainly the biggest thing that, that I've ever seen for female football in my lifetime. So for, for female players, I think it's had a, a quite a big effect.
4: And I wanted to ask you about a couple of the the younger players that have sort of caught my eye throughout the season, Greg, and and players who I think have just improved out of sight as as I've been sort of watching the games develop. I think Daniel Suckling's had a really good season in the centre of midfield for you. She just gets... Um, more and more confident her her ball playing ability is really good and I think she's a player that if you can sort of keep around next season and that she's gonna she's gonna go on to another level next season and also Savannah Allsthorne who I'm not sure if she Mm. was in the team earlier in the season Greg but I was talking about this on last year's pod like she's got that ball carrying ability that that the likes of Gemma Crane has I know that's a a big comparison to make but um, obviously Savannah doesn't quite have that polish that Gemma does in the final third but Savannah's got that real sort of game-breaking ability. So just a couple of words on those two players, if, if that's all right.
3: Yeah, so um, Savannah was actually one who came to us. We we recruited uh, Ava Richards out of the, the NTC, and she was from, from down south, and she'd played down south with Savannah, who is an overage, um was an overage sort of player who we were looking at, potentially to start in the 21s as she hadn't Played in Perth before, um, and that was what we, in preseason, sort of the conversation we had with her. Um, and she is a very very hard worker. has has, has improved a great deal as a her, her tactical understanding of the the level needed to play in the MPL, and her work rate is just phenomenal. Um, she has contributed, I would suggest five or six assists. Um, in the first team and, and in recent weeks, I think she, she got at least one assist against the NTC. Um, she obviously got two or oh, well, maybe Frankie got one of the assists against mum, but she had a big hand in it. Um, and she's a, a very good example of what players can do if they have the use of specific, they're like their strengths, mm. but also just the the mentality and the will to, to make it work and, and to continually put in the effort required to develop. Um, and then she's been a, a pleasure to work with and we certainly certainly have seen her go from strength to strength. And so um, Danielle Suckling has been around the league for a couple of seasons with Curtin, but certainly is a, a very uh, strong left-sided player. Um, she's a little bit of an outlier being a central midfielder. I've I've coached her in futsal. Her technique is, is sensational and her passing range is, is ridiculously good and she's actually made a really bad habit in the past of scoring <laughs> long range goals against me. Um so it was Awful it was habit. nice when we were able when we were able to get yeah, when we were able to get her across in preseason to be playing for me. I thought, well, at least that takes away sort of Five goals that we've conceded in the in the past. When I was I was at Red Star, she um made a really bad habit of scoring goals against us even against uh, for Subi last season. I think she scored twice from distance. So she she's another one who who's had a very good season and. We, we made a, a commitment when I came on board to to be promoting young players, and, and we, we've we done a, a really good job, I think, with the, the coaching staff that we've brought in. Um, Betsy actually spent a bit of time with us during preseason as well. Um, That's where he's got all his wisdom wanting from. To be, wanting to be. Well, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm not, certainly not going to cla- g- claim that. Greg has a little story he's a very, on the sideline.
2: Against UW, first time Greg came to watch, and. um. <laughs> He knows what don't I'm go telling
0: about.
3: people this.
2: <laughs> should I
3: say? Don't go telling yeah. people that. No, you should not. Uh,
1: I don't want to. We'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll hear we'll about it off air. We'll hear about it off air. Um, but look, what I, I, I was,
3: was asked the question.
1: What I was going <laughs> to say is, we'll, we'll get on to wrapping uh, up the league um, fixtures from this weekend and give us a minute on uh, Curtin University three, uh, Subiaco seven, Greg.
3: A minute, all right. Um, well, we there's ten goals, Madis, so you got about Mariana, you got
4: about six seconds for each goal. Greg.
3: Six seconds a goal, yeah. <laughs> um, so Mar- Mariana opened the scoring with a, a really good uh, drive in the first couple of minutes. Um, I think we got we got two more in the first half. We probably could have had another three or four. A little bit unlucky with offsides, and and in fairness, Curtin's defensive line did a good job of of maintaining their shape. We scored, I think, in the first minute straight after half time, and then had a period of about 20 minutes where the, some of the players were asleep. I think some of them were <laughs> thinking about what they were going to be doing on Saturday and Sunday, and, um,
1: and Friday we, night as well after the game.
3: We, well, after the game, yeah, we got very scrappy. Uh, Curtin scored a, a couple of good goals, and then there was the the one I think it was. Bree scored a, a left foot volley from about 30 meters. Um, after the game, Annie sort of said to me, was there anything that I could have done? And I sort of went, not without a stepladder. And, and <laughs> if you had Inspector Gadget arms, maybe, but that volley was just incredible. So, um, but in amongst that, we did also still score a couple of good goals. Um, it... The game has the positives that we, we continued a momentum, scored some good goals, but obviously there are things that we need to work on when a couple of the goals that we conceded were pretty scrappy.
1: Terrific. Um, well, look, we'll go to the next game, which was... Sorry, we've actually covered the Mum FC game and the Red Star game in our full time whistle podcast. you had a really good wrap up of that, um, so check that out. If you aren't part of the full time whistle, you need to get onto the Patreon. It's six dollars a month. It's the price of a long mac topped up with almond milk and a large uh, from one of my fancy city cafes. Um, should
4: should just say quickly on that though, just one thing: that Reina Kagami goal. If you've not seen it, the oh. build up from Red Star from left from right to left. Sorry. Lovely quick interchange of passing, and then the layoff from Ridley and, and the finish from Kagami was Unerring. fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, go and check that
1: out. When the, when the goal highlights come up, I'm sure you'll enjoy that one. Um, Tommy and I were at Hyundai NTC 2, Baokata Etna FC 1. Um, Greg kind of alluded to the fact that they had some big time players who were missing, um, but NTC were just terrific again, weren't they, Tommy?
4: They were. Um, they took a little while to, to get into the game. Um, maybe there was just a little bit of coming back from challenge, getting back into the swing of things again locally. Um, and and Balcada obviously missing those four key players, notably Tia um, Stonehill, the... the league's golden boot leader with, with Kagame and, and Sadie Lawrence as well, who's obviously got that Perth Glory experience. So there were some holes to fill for Balcata. I thought they defended pretty admirably in the first half. I thought Baxter Thieu was probably the best player on the pitch, but gradually as the game wore on, uh, NTC started getting their their passes together. Georgia Cassidy was the most influential player on the pitch, probably other than Baxter Thieu by quite a long way. You and mentioned- she was, if if the are doing their harsh ratings that they do in the newspapers, she would have uh, got a 10 for that performance. She was outstanding.
1: You, you mentioned Baxter, and it was really cool listening or speaking to some of the NTC staff after the game and asking them what their game plan was. And they were like, we actually tried to put Tanika a little bit wider to the left so she would stay away from Baxter and try to like <laughs> target someone else, um, which kind of brings us nicely into... Uh, the, the Pride round, we've got a special guest to talk about the Pride round um, after this segment. But before that, one of the interesting things from that game, um, which wasn't on streamer because unfortunately the cameraman thought that it was a three o'clock game and turned up like Sean did one time uh, after the game was over. And so we don't get to see the goals from um, Jim McCrane. Probably didn't even happen. We've got no idea. Um, she had a, she had, a, she, had a, she scored a two goals, but the interesting thing that I saw and I'd like to get your thoughts on this uh, was that Tash Rugby was allegedly or apparently playing left wing and I just want to say, Greg, if you were playing a team who had one of the best attacking talents who played out wide and you had one of the best defensive talents but also not just, like, good defensively, but supremely offensive as well to the point where they tend to push the opposition winger back. Would you play them on the opposite side as a winger?
3: Well, actually, Tash played on the wing against us a little while ago. Um,
1: and she played on the wing last week as well.
3: Yeah, so she, she played right wing against us when they, they beat us a few weeks ago. Um, and it sort of speaks to the embarrassment of riches that Faye and Coral Buxy have got over at Fremantle, that they're able to do that. But it's also when you're you're lucky enough to have Karis Hawkins playing at fullback, it it tends to give you a little bit of freedom to kind of go, well, I'm just going to do what I want really, (laughs) because I have that level of player playing at fullback. So um, I think it, it kind of, Gives them an added dimension, and to be trying to.
1: This this sounds like this sounds like some, coaches' some... club talk here, Greg. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, when you, you're trying to figure out how to help your side to be defending against someone like Tash Rigby, you you're sort of hoping that she's a little bit deeper because then instead of running at your fullback from inside your your own half, she's having to go from the box get to halfway and then sort of do the attacking bit. So if she's already had to run 40 or 50 meters, maybe there's a little bit less in the tank, but when she's attacking you from halfway, it's kind of, oh, please don't put the ball over that side. Please don't put yeah. the ball over that side.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see I can see the idea. I suppose my, my and again, Faye, this isn't a dig. Um, I, my whole idea is Perth literally had one substitute. And so you knew that they couldn't change the game. Um, Jim has not been fully fit dunk hasn't been fully fit. They're, they're literally the walking wounded right now. And I would be, if I was the coach, I'd be like, all right, man, I am just going as defensively solid and, and, and sharp for as long as possible. And we can change the game with our subs, knowing that they can't make, they can only make one sub. Um, but I, I suppose you, you mentioned it right there, when you've got a match winner like... Gemma um, Crane on the pitch, you know that you just have to be solid and wisely because you've got goals in your team.
4: I think Gemma's just well, such yeah. a... Um, she's just such a mercurial player. And she is just a player when, if you are in a bit of a sticky patch or you're on the back foot... You can just use her as that outball. You can just find her by feet. She's so sort of strong in holding off opposition. She's so strong in breaking past the challenge and, and carrying it forward and breaking those lines and suddenly setting Perth on onto the counter attack. And, and my understanding was that um, the, the goals were really transition goals yesterday. Having spoken to a couple of people, one was um, her arriving in the six yard box um, for a header from Jess Flannery's cross, and the other was um, a bit of interplay with Jamie Duncanson, and then um, and then she made the burst onto the edge of the area and rifled into the. Box. Bottom corner, but look, that's eight games undefeated for Perth now. Um, they 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 are still getting results despite the um, just having the one player on the bench this week, like you say, Calici, in the absences. And what it has done is it it's kind of given the title race a bit of a pulse. Um, that they're, they're three points behind Red Star. Red Star do have that game in hand, of course, but this week's the top-of-the-table clash between Red Star and the Azuri at Red Star Arena, and um, I'm looking forward to doing that one on Sunday. And, yeah, it's um, it's perfectly primed, really, for a um, for a massive game on, on Sunday afternoon, and and if Perth can win that, then you never know. Um, Red, Red Star aren't used to dropping points, and uh, albeit they do have that game in hand, um, you just never know what that sort of change in momentum can do after they drop points on Friday night.
3: Yeah, well... Leave- yeah, well, and
4: and... And
3: people, and people have, people have sort of talked about uh, Perth Soccer Club having having players out and, and that sort of thing. But you, you look at the depth of players that they've got. You you've still got Gemma Crane um, on on one side. You've got Jamie Duncanson on the other. Um, you've got Poppy Hooks. You've got Beck Bennett. Like you you've still got so much quality and experience. Um, even with with some of the younger players Jess Flannery um, Stella uh, like there's just so much quality in that club mm. that, that they they're at the they're at the similar level to Red star where you look at their their bench and their 21s and a lot of those players would would make other first teams better and you you just have to sort of look at the embarrassment of riches again and go well, as, as a, a spectator of the game, we are very lucky. Um, people have said that there's been a lot of movement away of, of some of the better players and the top players, and that happens everywhere and it happens every season. But there are still so many good players and there's lots of good young players coming through that you just have to look at those games and go, well, that was fun to watch
1: look it's all been fun to watch as well and <clears throat> can't wait to see your game next week as well um greg thank you so very much really appreciate the time we'll uh let you get back to doing your reconnaissance mission um in any last words for, for any of us you want to take a shot at Betham, feel free to do that right now
3: do it, <laughs> do it. <laughs> no guys thank you very much for the time i appreciate it and the the work that you guys do um like i think there was a a couple of comments in a uh, one of the Facebook groups a little while ago, but the work that you guys do, that some of the other journalists, Ben Gilby and Neil Bennett, and like, everything that you do to promote the game is is so thoroughly appreciated. Um, it's it's brilliant. So thank you very much and well done.
1: Uh, thank you, mate. We really appreciate it. Thanks to so much of these guys as well because we're we're walking wounded right now. But Tommy and bedham have taken their time to come and join. And uh, you mentioned Ben, and uh, if you're part of the Patreon, you'll uh, catch up with a sneaky interview that we get to do with him when he gets here in Perth as well. So that should be awesome.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm on the Patreon, so I'll, I'll look forward to listening to it. Yeah, boy.
1: That check's in the mail, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a good night. You too, mate. Thank you so much. See you, Greg. See Cheers, guys. And we teased it a little bit earlier uh, about the Fremantle Pride round. Um, against Perth SC, and we actually have a special input here uh, where we talked to the person behind the initiative, uh, Ginger Kane. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview with Ginger Kane. Bye. And welcome back for a Perth Football Podcast special. Uh, We had a really cool initiative happen this weekend um, in the aforementioned Fremantle and um, Perth SC game. Uh, It turned out to be the Pride Round, the first of its kind in the MPL. I'm looking at you, Tommy, to hopefully correct me. Yep, he's nodding profusely. Um, And we have on the line joining us just before training, giving us a good 12 minutes before they have to get out there and get to training is Ginger Kane. Ginger, how are you?
5: Yeah, I'm good.
1: How are you? Oh, we're terrific. Uh, look, Ginger, thank you so much for your time. Um, but look, let's let's jump into it. So, what what talk? Well, basically, talk to us about about the entire initiative and talk to us about Pride Round.
5: Um, yeah. So basically, I at the end of last year was watching AFL women's games and noticing that they had a Pride Round, and I was wondering why there's nothing like that of the sorts in women's soccer. Um, and then I basically talked to Tash Rigby and like some other girls and decided that we wanted to try as hard as we could to make one happen for this season. And with help from like local politicians and stuff, we were able to make it happen.
1: Well, that sounds terrific. So, so the initiative just came from watching something happen um, in, the, in the AFL and you decided, look, Let's we, we deserve that or we earn that. Why Why did you think it was important to do it for the women's game here in WA?
5: Um, I think a Pride round is really important because players. there's lots of queer players in um, women's soccer and I feel like we need to make sure that we're creating a comfortable and a safe space for people to feel seen and represented in um, women's football. And I think that's the perfect place to do it through showing... Um, yeah, the acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus community.
4: Can you tell us a little bit about the timeline of, of how this um, round was all sort of arranged? Ginger, I understand it, it took quite quite a while to sort of obviously go through the process. You obviously speaking with Tash and, and some local politicians. So so how long have you been sort of working on this in the background?
5: Um, I'd say September last year was probably when we had our first like meeting to be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And... Yeah, I'd say from then on, it was just lots of hard work. And then probably from about May to July, it was pretty hectic, trying to make sure everything was going to arrive on time. Um, Yeah.
4: And in terms of that support that you have had, Ginger, obviously there are some absolute icons in in WA football, such as Tash, but obviously some prominent players um, who everybody sorts of knows around the league, such as Laura Waltman, Jamie Lee, Gale as well, all senior players at the club. Can you tell us a little bit about what it meant to you um for them to be on board with your idea and to support you in, in getting this um, in getting this pride round going.
5: Yeah. Um, I think I didn't like expect anyone to be, especially in Fremantle, anyone to be um, not supportive of it. But I think obviously, um, just seeing it come to life and seeing Perth and Fremantle wearing the jerseys and just like supporting such a big day and seeing how many people came down, it was so exciting. Um, for something like that to come to life. And I think, yeah, it'd be an awesome beginning to something that could actually turn into something really big.
4: And we saw Perth as well um, were very sort of reciprocal in, in getting on board and being part of this as well, Ginger. Like they obviously had the, the rainbow sleeves or the or the bands on the sleeves, I understand. So is that something that you've had some feedback from in, Perth, in terms of Perth, in terms of them wanting to continue to be a part of this as well uh, with Fremantle?
5: Yeah, I think... Um, considering they were, like, the team that we wanted to verse, because we chose, like, what team to verse. And um, considering they were so on board and so accepting of it, I think, yeah, they'd be so keen to, for the next years, um, the Pride Rounds in the next coming years.
4: And and how much of a success was it, Ginger? Is it, is it something that... Really, in terms of the feedback that you've had over the past 24 hours since the game was completed, that, that you're hoping that it's something that's going to be sort of ingrained into the um, into the women's footballing uh, fixture over the coming years?
5: Yeah, um, I'd love to see it turn into more of like a Football West initiative. That would be mm-hmm. probably one of the biggest goals to come from this, would be that the Pride Round is initiated from Football West and organised and funded by them so that every club on a certain round wears pride jerseys and is supportive of the day, because I feel like that would make it really important. And, yeah, I've had so much good feedback since yesterday, um, so much support. Yeah, it's really awesome to hear.
1: No, that's that's absolutely terrific, and we're huge proponents of it. We love the fact that it is a community thing. We love the fact that it is people who get to turn up and play football and be seen, be, be heard, um, be embraced, um, and be part of it as well. Yeah. at the same time it's it's I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this because it is a little bit it is a little bit wonky but you'll you kind of understand where I'm trying to get here but like our we, we have a pretty good listenership but when I do the numbers and I do the average um, the vast majority of our people who listen about 40% of, the, of our listeners are middle-aged white dudes who are 35 years old um, which is yeah. absolutely fine because a lot of the people who are part of this podcast are middle-aged white dudes and that's and that's, and, that's, and that's and that's fine and that's cool but at the same time I feel like what we really do have is we have a, a a vessel to actually speak to these people and give them different perspectives that they may not have heard about before or give them in, in, um, information and, and be part of conversations that because of their circle, because of their environment, because of the people that they grow up with, they might not be um, quite aware of. of. So for, so with, with that being said and understanding that there isn't something like this in the men's game and the men's game has a lot to do and get better, especially around homophobia. Um, mm-hmm. What's 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 your kind of feel of things that potentially we could do, we could say more um, that clubs could potentially do, um, because of course it, it is a lot easier in the women's side because there's just way more queer players who are involved, and it's a beautiful thing to see, and it provides an incredible community that's there. Um, but in terms of in terms of the the clubs that I play for, in terms of Sunday League clubs, again, I'm not asking you to give us the big macroeconomic perspective here, but just little <laughs> small things that we could potentially do. Um, I wear a rainbow armband for all of my football games because I'm lucky enough to be the captain of North Perth um, and sometimes it's got me to bother, sometimes it hasn't and the vast majority of the time it's all good. Um, but yeah, just getting an idea of, of, of what else that we could do because it does seem like such a cool initiative and I know that Benny, who was on last week, spoke about potentially having an Indigenous round um, where we do have some, some colours from the people in local regions as well.
5: Yeah, um, I think what you're saying about, like, wearing rainbow um, cap bands and stuff like that is really good little um, acknowledgements of the community that we are trying to, like, accept and make feel sane and comfortable and everything like that. I think um, in the men's league, yeah, I think considering the Pride round in the women's league was literally just the initiative of, like, it started from one resies player, Mm. I think that shows how um, possible these things are. And I think if people really want to show their support for the LGBTQI+ plus community, then that's where stuff happens. You've got to really um, decide if you want to do that and do you, like, create a pride round, do you create some sort of, yeah, like your captain just wears a normal captain bag, do you ask them to wear a rainbow captain band, stuff like that.
4: And um I, I spoke to Tash um myself during the week for for an article for Football West Ginger and um and she was talking about that sense of real community down down at Fremantle City. Is that something Because we know Fremantle City has such a strong junior base, it has such a a, a sort of well-rounded scope in terms of the nature of the club it is, and and it is such a a heavily participated club in terms of the amount of players there. So is that something that you've noticed in terms of that real sense of community and and how they've sort of banded together for this this idea that you've had?
5: Yeah, I think once the ball got rolling, it was so incredible to feel like all these people were behind you, feeling like, the whole Fremantle City board was so on board with everything. Every player was on board with everything. I think it, it further drives what you're wanting to do because obviously already I had a lot of motivation for this, but then feeling like I was backed by so many people was such an incredible feeling. And, yeah, as being part of the community myself, I think feeling like all these people behind me is so comforting and so makes you feel so sane.
4: And, of course, it's not the main reason that we've got you on the line today, Ginger, but you're obviously an under-21s player at Fremantle City as well. Can you tell us a little bit how your year's going in terms of the season and, and, and that race for the top four that you guys are seemingly in? I think you've got quite a few makeup games to play as well from from what I, had, what I saw on Squatty before.
5: Yeah, so um, we're currently fourth at the moment. Um, yeah, we had a pretty good win yesterday against Perth, which was really... Um, exciting and something nice to have because we had a horrible loss the week before that but yeah i think it's the resi's league this year is pretty like um touch and go it's very ever-changing which is i think a really exciting thing to be playing in because last year we didn't have much of a chance didn't make finals anything like that and this year being in top four it's looking good but obviously don't want to jinx
4: anything. And there's and there's been some great players from, from the 21s who've come up in recent seasons as well, such as, um, well, Kate Nolan's one that stands out. She always seems to make an impact when she comes off the bench for the first team. We've seen Sophie Osborne as well step up and look really comfortable at, at first uh-huh. team level. Is there that scope where um, where you're sort of seeing on the pitch that there are so many of these young players, that next generation of of Fremantle City female player coming through and looking really strong?
5: Absolutely, yeah. We have so many good 21s who have had really um, used their opportunity in prems and have really shown that they've they're coming for people's spots. And I think, yeah, like Alex Pode, Kate Nolan, players like that, they've done a really good job when they've gone up and played for prems. And I think, yeah, bringing that competitiveness is such a good thing.
1: Ginger, thank you so much. You've got an extra two more minutes to get there and get ready before before training. <laughs> so really, much. really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And uh, just delighted to hear about the initiative as well.
5: Thank you so much for having
1: me. No, you take care. We'll speak to you soon, hopefully.
5: Yeah, see ya.
1: Bye-bye. And before
0: we dive back into part two, we just want to send a quick thank you out to Balance and Revive Massage Therapy, our latest sponsors here at the Perth Football Podcast. And if you want to get 10% off remedial and sports massages, just go and say hi uh, from the Perth Football Podcast. Use the code PFP23. Uh, that's PFP23. And you get 10% off all remedial and sports massages at Balance and Revive. You can find them in Carambine at One Hobson
1: Gate. And we're back with part two of the Perth Football Podcast. We've been able to make a quick uh, injury substitution following the concussion protocol. Sean Frye's back. Sean, you keeping well?
0: Uh, yeah, I am, mate. But um, a, a little bit in the red, as you know, which is why we're um, you, you're just managing me in these little fits and starts. And I'm going to try and uh yeah, pro- provide as much as I can. And and you know, I'll always give a hundred percent. Uh, in whatever situation, um, and I and I do j- just really quickly want to say to to everybody that, I, that haven't seen me around the grounds, maybe you don't care, and maybe you're happy to not <laughs> hear my voice or, or see my face. But um, but no, I've uh, my my partner's had some uh, family emergency that she's had to fly back to Canada for, um, and she does a lot of work around here um, that maybe I don't appreciate as much as I should. Um, but uh, yeah, people that don't know us, we've got. Uh, like seven horses to look after, and three dogs, and, and two cats, and five chickens, and whatever else. That is and one chefs. Sean it's, Fry it's as well. Bit, and one Sean Fry, so yeah, he's probably the the uh, hardest one to look after. But no, I uh, w- w- in a couple of weeks, I'll be be back down and, and be in the studio a lot more, and you won't be having to, to phone me in so much. But also, I've, I've said this to you off air, Kalichi, but I think the people need to know that, um. This is basically a Harry Maguire, Bruno uh, finance situation where, um, like, I, I just haven't been able to perform the role um, as, as the <laughs> leader of, of this podcast. And, and now you're going to need to step up with all your petulance and, um, yeah, take, oh, take the petulant. mantle. I've uh, been
1: very petulant today.
4: We're listening to <laughs> office from Saudi Arabia, Sean. <laughs> Yeah yeah exactly. Well that's um you 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 play
0: the Bruno role just fine if you if you have the odd tantrum um now and then but yeah I, I all that being said um I I am well and uh, it's a, a pleasure to be on with you
1: guys tonight. Before we get into part 2 and talk the MPL I also just want to send a quick well wish to our queen of the podcast, Sam Giddies, who's not feeling the best right now. And we just want to send all the well wishes. So we've all got our hearts, hands and heart shapes, and we're just pushing some well wishes to your direction. Get well soon, Sam. There's a World Cup happening and you don't want to be missing any parts of that. Um,
0: she's taken a demotion if she's now just
1: queen of the podcast and no longer queen of football. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. My bad. My bad, Sam. Um, maybe <laughs> when you get back to being healthy, you'll be queen of football. But look, we'll we'll,
6: we'll get she straight anyway. We'll get
1: straight into um the action. And Sean, this is the real reason why we wanted to get you on. But it was <laughs> it was Coburn City one, Florida Athena oh. three, and there was a dogzo. Dogzo. Dog. 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 Dog.
0: Zone. Yes, indeed, uh, there was a Dogzo um, and it was, uh, if, if you believed in, in, uh, in fate and in narratives and in, in, in the poetry of life and particularly the poetry of football, this is the kind of moment that, uh, that it's all about. Paint and I the am a, scene, paint knows. the entire
1: historical it, scene for us, please.
0: Well, everybody knows that I am a, I, I, I'm a cockerel at heart, um, and and a, and, and, a, and, a, and an Armid army boy, army army they're, boy. They're, and and they're they're my two closest clubs that I've got down to the most, and you know I know a lot of people around the clubs lo- love them all to bits, um, but. But this moment uh, transcends your loyalties uh, because I will take you back, which I, I've probably mentioned this moment uh, at least a couple of times on different episodes of this podcast. And when we do a podcast about my favorite moments in the MPL, um, which I think we'll uh, probably do at some point, uh, I'll mention it again uh, because it was that that famous final day uh, where you, Tommy, were up at uh, – were they still you tuned up at that yeah. time? Well, they. Yes. I think they may have still been ECU. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they. Um, you, you were up at that game, and I was calling the Floriatt Coburn game uh, at E and Leader Stadium, and it. But either t- Floriatt or um, ECU could have won the league that day. Uh, uh, Floriatt just needed to win, and it was just a. It was a hell of a game. It was. It was end to end. It was pretty chaotic and. Then the, the big moment that turned it all was uh, Phil Arnold. Again, one of my favourites. J- l- love is uh, passion, is intensity, and what he actually brings to the game. And it, it's he's the kind of player that brings these narratives to life. Um, but this was not his finest moment uh, because he it was already on a yellow for sort of cutting someone in half. I, I can't remember the exact tackle in the first half. but love It seemed work, a pretty Phil. cut and dry yellow. It seemed a pretty cut and dry yellow card. Phil didn't agree. Um, didn't think he touched him. Oh, it was, <laughs> I can't remember if the tackle was actually on Jesse himself, but anyway, um, I, I th- actually, it, it, it must've been because Phil was having a go at Jesse for being a diver. Um, and then come second half, uh, Phil Arnold's uh, driving into the box, looking like he's going to, you know, perhaps create an opening and, and, and a vital goal. Uh, and, Jesse Lazaro looks like he's going to dangle a leg in, withdraws it, and Phil just flops to the flops to the floor, gets the second yellow, gets sent off. Has Jesse accompanying him all the way back, pointing to his chest, saying, "I, I thought I was the diver. I thought I was the diver. What, what's what's going on here?" Um, Beautiful. And Phil obviously, Phil obviously did not enjoy that moment uh, <laughs> very much. I don't think actually did to give him credit did very well not to lash out at, at Jesse because um, we know he's a shit stirrer. And uh, as you call him a lovable bastard and they're your favorite types of players, Kalichi, uh, as I know, but they, they went off to Dean, Dean Evans smashed in a goal from about 60 yards as well um, in that game. But then Jesse Lazaro uh, iced it with a, with a goal laid on and, and, you know, ran off and and another thing that I've mentioned, but ran off giving it the shush as the advertisement for the discreet men's health with the man giving the shush um, popped up underneath. It was, it had everything. It was perfect. Uh, So Florian didn't win the league. Obviously then we have the the incredible victory for them last year in the league with the BBM late, late, late late winner. Uh, And it's just the narratives keep flying because on this occasion, um, I believe someone was standing on the goal line, yep. uh, hit the arm and uh, early on in this game, Floriot Coburn and, and Coburn have dished out a few beatings to, to Floriot over the last couple of years apart from that as well. So they, they are a bit of a bogey side, uh, but who was it for, uh, for Coburn standing on the line? I'm sure you can all probably guess. It's Jesse Lazaro. <laughs> Jesse Lazaro and he gets his marching orders on this occasion. So uh, the stage was set. Um, Floriette go one up, and and I message you and say like I I told you we should go with Floriot on this one because you know they uh, they find a I don't trust Coburn to do it back to back weeks and I, I never really do and and then sure enough very quickly they. It's equalize. One, one. <laughs> So this is just me and you with the with the scores refreshing. Um, you were up at the Red Star game and and I'm looking at that and, and saying again like. Yeah, this, this is the one that Florian need to win. And then the cock was hit back as they always do. They always make it a fight as uh, Andy Higgins said after their game. It's just like, you just, you, you can feel like you're on top completely. And then they'll come back at you and the, they, they get that goal back and then the stage is set. Um, and <laughs> as, as someone who, who saw the goal, uh, Tommy, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe allow you to paint the picture of what, what happened at one, one.
4: Well, it's like the uh, it's like a Big Bang Theory episode title, isn't it? It's the the, the Lazaro Arnold vortex. It's um, Sean McManus who's breaking. Uh, sorry, actually, the ball came across from the left. Sean McManus then hammered it back across goal, and Phil Arnold was on hand to tap in to make it two one. As he did in the State Cup semi final about a month two. ago. Yeah, oh, yeah. he scored two
1: in that game as well. But is is that not just football
0: poetic perfection? How can you, Jesse Lazaro gets sent off. Phil Arnold scores the winning goal. uh, Two players forever intertwined. Just they, they, yeah, their fates are just seemingly intertwined, but at polar uh, opposite ends of of the spectrum. So if Jesse's having a good day, Phil can't be and vice versa. It it seems to be the, uh, the case, but God, that just, it's, it's why we love football, isn't
4: it? And, Equally intertwined on the league table now because both are on twenty three points after eighteen games. Both of them are one point clear of the relegation playoff place and uh four points clear of bottom side Inglewood United. And and remarkably still only both three points off fourth. So yeah, we've been saying it all year. This 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 league is crazy. Whether Floria and Coburn will remain intertwined and, and both stay up in season twenty twenty three remains. How good to be is seen. Tommy
0: Dolman with, with the uh segues these days? He's always been a wordsmith. He's he's great on the calls, but I think the last few Weeks that the way
1: you've mate, gone he from one topic in, to another, he mate. You is just in, deserve praise. He is in top form right now. Um, and, and you watch <laughs> how we transition to the Inglewood United game. Um, so there's a there's an absolute screamer from Karen Byrne that's in this game, which I haven't seen. Have you seen it, Tommy?
4: I have, yeah. So it was an instinctive strike, I'd say, from, from Byrne. Um, you, you can see why he scored 11 goals in the league this season. The ball just broke to him inside the area, and and I suppose most strikers would would try and maybe just hammer it towards the target, maybe just even slam it back across the face of goal, try and find a teammate. But now Kieran Burns at the top of his game at the moment, and he and he just decides to pick out the top corner with a, with a curling goal and. It was one in which um, decided uh, the game for Kingsway. It keeps their unbeaten run going. I think it's about five games now under David Tuff. And um, look, they're most certainly in this title race still, 100%. But, um,
1: five But clean sheets in the, last, in the last six.
4: Yeah, it's it's a stunning run of form, really. and And I suppose that was the worry, wasn't it, was how they were going to perform in this away games. Obviously, that was... Due to the scheduling for the FIFA Women's World Cup, with Denmark playing at their ground, but um, yeah, the, the the defense has really sort of stepped up, and it's something that we've praised Sterling for for the last couple of years, and 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 they've kind of taken a leaf out of that book. But yeah, conversely, for Englewood, that is a um, that is a, a result which sees them adrift at the bottom now, and and facing a must-win game this weekend, which. Yeah, you'll you tell us more about Cleetje because you're keen to head down.
1: I'll be, I'll be going to that game. But I, I did want to just say before we move on to what's well, their big game against Perth Glory next next week, um, spoke to two Englewood players and also um, sent a message to some of the coaching staff at Kingsway, and everyone said the exact same thing, that Englewood were really good um, and that they're a good side and they were shocked that they were down in that position. And on one hand, it's one of the most frustrating things from the Inglewood players to hear because they were going – People keep telling us that we're good, but we're last. So, like, how does that? How does that work? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's like that's what I've been being told my whole life.
4: <laughs> the good thing for Englewood, by, by, by die fry, of course, of course,
1: you, you're good,
0: you're good. Doesn't matter that you keep coming last.
4: The good thing for Englewood though is that they kind of. I wouldn't say they have it in their hands because they are three points adrift at the bottom, but they do play Glory, Coburn, and Sorrento as three of their final four games above them, so they do have a chance to make ground on teams above them, but they are running out of games, and and, and this game against Perth Glory, 11th, first, 12th is a critical game. It is is the definition of a must-win. In this season where we've seen it be so tight, we haven't seen really many must-win games because teams have been so inconsistent. You know, if you lose one game, there's every chance it's not going to matter because you can win next week and and jump five places up the league but this is now you're absolutely right
0: you've 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 all teams have known all season haven't they that you just string three or four wins together and you'll be in the top four and it just uh, up until this point it hasn't mattered but you're you're absolutely spot on I think this is the first one that feels like and and we are going to start having them at the top of the table now now that there's only you know three or four games to go um usually they come around a lot quicker than that but yeah you're, you're absolutely spot on it's it's becoming do or die time now
1: it does feel like it's separation Saturday that's coming up, right? Because it, it is the definition of a six-pointer this game. Inglewood are three points behind Perth Glory. If they do win, they've matched them. If they do lose, they're now six points behind. Hence why it's a six-pointer. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's an absolute must win game. But at the same time, it's the same for, for Armadale and Perth, right? Armadale play Perth. Um, they're three points behind... Um, that would be Armadale who were in seventh. They've, they've had a really, really bad, bad luck with injuries. I'm just going to read out something that I got sent. Um, they've had a lot of injuries and suspension. So it's been really hard to have the strongest signing 11 each week, which is difficult. Um, they're missing both center, center halves. And, um, who's a young 16 year old who usually plays center or plays right back, but has been playing center midfield for them. He's been real decent. Ah, oh, goodness gracious me! His, his name escapes my mind. Um, I'm pretty. Tommy f- Dolman, please help him out. I want to say he's Lockie. I'm not too sure. Um, Lachlan Collins. Yeah, it's the one. Yeah, um, Lachlan Collins, who's, who's 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 super young um, and and getting an opportunity, but he's also getting an opportunity in centre midfield. So they've just not had a lot of balance, especially since that um, since that Sterling Sterling game, and so now they're looking at that, going, all right. If we get the win here against Perth, we're right back in the mix of fourth. If we don't get the win, then that's the team that's in fourth, who are now six points clear of you.
4: And and that's what happened on the weekend. Perth went to went to Alfred Skate Reserve and they and they got a four one win and and it was a a game in which Perth really sort of enhanced their their chances of making the top four. They've sort of rediscovered their form after a little bit of a wobble earlier in the season. And 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 as are a lot of teams in that. Um, sort of bottom half of the league. Armadale are also on twenty three points with with Coburn, with Floria, with Sorrento. Gloria on twenty two. It really is still all up for grabs, really, in terms of that fight for relegation. But but from an Armadale perspective, they're um, they're away at Red Star this week. I've weekend. actually read that
1: wrong. It's not Separation Saturday from Armadale perspective, but it is from a it is from a. Uh glory and Inglewood perspective but yeah they are away at at, um, at Armadale and if you listen to our full time if you listen to our Patreon on the line episode this is the kind of game where I say style Meeks fights and be the kind of game I- where where Armadale would be like you know what we it's not up to us to get the result Red Star need to get the win more than we do let's just sit back and hit them on the break and they might get a little bit of luck on that side as well especially with the pesky people like Jackson and York Ops playing in that match too.
4: Yeah, and it's the sort of game where I think Red Star will... Red Star obviously needs to win because... There's that looming game in hand um, that Stirling and Kingsway have just below, so the, the onus really is on Red Star to, to be getting three points to make sure they've got as much distance between them and and those two below coming into that game in hand. But this is a sort of game where Armadale might look at it and they might go, this is this is a bit of a, a, a throw at the stumps really for us. This is a way in which we can rediscover our form. We can really have a bash at this and then focus on the on the three or four rounds to follow afterwards if need be. So look, there's every chance that John O'Reilly's team can go up there and upset the Apple and uh, yeah, it would provide another fascinating twist in the title race. Sorry, Sean, I think I cut just, you off there.
0: No, no, that's all right. You've, I've completely lost my train of thought but th- but then you mentioned uh, taking a throw at the stumps and I was just going to say, you just before you do that, you always got to make sure that it's okay. To take a throw at the stumps, <laughs> of course. Make make sure you make sure you ask the other team. Can I can I throw it now? Stay in your crease because you don't want to get you don't want to get people. Um, you don't want to be out of the spirit of the game. Um, but uh, <laughs> we won't talk, too, won't talk. too much about the cricket. But apart from how to say again, what a silly sport is it that uh, Kalichi was with me on Saturday night, and everyone that's cheering for Australia is just like oh, you're not even watching the game. You're just watching the. Uh, you're cheering for rain. You're, you're watching the percentage win rate on uh, Google as you check the Manchester uh, weather forecast, and and that's <laughs> so. How can you watch a sport where all you want is to not see your team play for a whole day, or two days, or three days? It's uh, like, it's like I said, so Sean. Silly. Any that's
1: any it. any game that you can watch for five days and still have a draw is a <laughs> stupid game. But a game that probably won't be a draw um uh, that. Sorry, a game that wasn't a draw was the. Uh, Alcata Etna 2 Sorrento three game. that looked like a wild game because it was also a dogzo in that one. did you see the uh, the dogzo Tommy? Dog, dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog, dog,
4: yes I did Calici. Uh yes yeah, so um, Gustavo Marilanda was was through on goal and he was just about. To release a shot on on to the target, I assume from the distance he was, and uh, Adam Buckingham gave him a little nudge in the back. Shoved him in the back. Well, you were I was a bit more diplomatic, but yeah, he basically put a hand in his back and uh, and pushed him <laughs> to the ground, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty clear red card because obviously there was no play on the ball, so that was that would have been the explanation. But and
1: the best part is he's appealing, being like he's had the shot, he's had the shot. It's like, buddy, do you literally just shoved him as he's through on goal? Um...
4: It was a signifier for Balcata though, because. Um to to be two nil down in that game and to go down to ten men and then to get back to two two yeah. and seemingly earn yourself yet another draw. Balcata are the team with the most draws in, in the league this season, I think. So they are um they are a team that have been able to grind out those points to keep themselves up in that mix, but then to obviously let slip um that late goal to Jordan Brown, a scrappy one from a set piece, was a big boost to Sorrento, but also um but also Um, a a bit of a blow for Balcada as they look to sort of try and make that
1: top four. Betsum, can you guess how many games Balcada have won at home this year?
2: If I take a random guess, one?
1: Yes, yes. They've won one game at home this year. (laughs) One game. One out of nine. One out of nine. They've got six (sighs) points Uh, from a possible how many, Sean? Out of...
0: Twenty-seven, I think, is the the nine times three. Six points out of twenty-seven,
1: and then you at flip home, that, and it's the best just... team away from home. Shouldn't it be reversed? Yep, it's it's.
2: Should you be better at home than yeah, it's, it's something about nones cooking they at know, well,
1: They don't like it.
0: <sighs> yeah, maybe. I, I mean, we've seen but just just to to retread old ground again. The there is there is, is no statistical home ground advantage in this league, uh, and <laughs> but this is the one this is the one team where there is a the whether you are playing at home or away does actually matter, uh, and it just happens to be a, a very very negative thing to be to be playing at home. So it's uh, it's it's just another just another thread in the tapestry that is this crazy crazy league.
4: I reckon it's because Kalich eats all the chips and all the schnitzel rolls whenever he goes to Greenfield Reserve. So the players have no sustenance. They've got no calories to, or carbs to put in their body so, Tommy, before I, the I game. To, and uh, and Kalichi Kalich Kalich is completely <laughs> completely stuffing back out of here. This is my little theory that I've got. No, I, I, I hate
0: to break it to you, Tommy, but um, the, these athletes these days uh, d- don't eat that sort of uh, d- don't eat the fried chips before the game. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe back in your playing days, but they're, uh, they're, they're, they're they're on a little bit more uh, high-end, healthy stuff. They're eating the Conti Rolls, man, and and I'm eating them as well. I love blaming Kalichi for everything I can,
1: but I I can't pin this one on him.
4: You did want to speak about Dean Cummings, though, didn't you, Kalichi? Because he uh, has led from the front from Sorrento this season.
1: Every single highlight that I see, and it's a Sorrento game, you've got Dean Cummings scoring goals. And I want to know, I'm really curious to know like, what has happened um, because he hasn't been, I don't think he's been this prolific Ever, um, not to say that he's not an attacking midfielder or that doesn't have the capabilities, but maybe he's just been given a whole new lease of life with Steve McGarry there, uh, a little bit more trust in the midfield. Maybe he's, he's given the
4: captain's armband.
1: Yeah, and 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 maybe he's also he's also got a little bit more um, defensively. That's there with him. Um, I know that Tim Hill usually plays midfield. I'm not too sure if he was he, he was, was back. back this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you've got you've got a little bit more stability that's there. But yeah, he's he's been an absolute leader for that team on and off the pitch, but also like in scoring goals as well. And, and you know, Gustavo usually scores a lot of goals for them. I was going to ask, is he, is he up to double digits from midfield? And he's at nine. That's ridiculous, Tommy. That's a really good return playing in playing the midfield.
4: It, it is, yeah. And I think that when he came into the league, he, he was originally with Sterling and won their player of the season award. I think he might have got eight or nine goals from midfield that year, but then he sort of had, had a little period at Bayswater. I think he had some injuries as well. But... But obviously went to Sorrento last year, had a pretty good year, but he's he's obviously stepped up even more with that captain's armband. So, look, he's a big part of the reason why Sorrento have been able to sort of get, get a couple of important results over the past few weeks, um, obviously, it was um, the, the game I saw against Florida. It was a little bit worrying for them, perhaps. Um, but but then again, when I sort of think back to it now, that game was quite chaotic and, and both teams probably
1: could have won or lost that game and it was it was Florida that got the breaks in it. Look, we haven't mentioned Perth, but there is a really good interview that Danny Hay does um, at the end of the game that you can check out on their socials. It was another good 4-1 win for them. We haven't been able to see all of the highlights, unfortunately, but I did see that Ninkovic was on the score sheet as, again and he is a player who is going to be the difference for them if they can get him back if they can get him bar playing well um and Ethan Banks as well, and Sam Cook's having an absolute party. Um, There could be someone you don't want to face in the top four.
4: Sam Goal hit a sweet half volley from about probably 30 yards out. Rising effort into the roof of the net. Really clean strike. I'll show you that one afterwards, Kalichi. Um, A special goal, and and only Chris Jackson and Daryl Nichol have scored more goals in the league than him this season. So look, when we were talking last season about getting him on the podcast and, and getting those starts in his legs this coming season and more opportunity. He's certainly held up his end of the bargain and really delivered on that front. And just one word as well for Julian Tellers, who's been an absolute rock at the back for the Azzurri this year. He's a threat from set pieces. And he I feel he's held that defence together in quite a lot of games this year. And he's maybe a player that's not spoken about as much as some of the likes of Embark, Cook and, and Ninkovic. But I think Tellers has been super consistent at the back. And I think he'd be right in my mix for, for being in one of the teams of the season. Sure. I think uh, you might have had a little Freudian slip there, Tommy. With uh, you, you called him Sam goal, um, That's, with, with
0: that's a volley, good name. Uh, which, which I think he'll be more than happy with if that uh, if that sticks. Um, I mean, but, it's better than Sam yeah, Handball. We,
6: uh...
0: <laughs>
1: Sam Hand of God. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely better than that. All right, and we've look. We've we've saved the best for last. Um, we touched upon it a little bit on the uh, full time whistle on our Patreon. Um, but at one stage, it looked like the title race might have been over, where Perth Glory are up 2-0 um, against Sterling Macedonia. And this is after um, Macedonia had a penalty that was saved by the keeper as well. And then we're sitting there watching the, the games as, as, as chaos just reigns in. And I'm pretty sure, Sean, you, you sent me a message saying there's got to be some late drama in this league, right?
0: yeah exactly I said I think with about five minutes to go I was like surely there's another twist at least one other twist and there was about four across the games it just it never fails to disappoint us but yeah this was one where Sterling really really needed to dig in um, and show you know if you're going to be a champion in this league this year uh, if you can fight back in games with it that it doesn't look like you have any right to win, um, that goes a long, long way, not just uh, in terms of points, but in terms of the message that that sends out um, to the other teams. Like You you just know people are looking at these scores and going like, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great. And it, it just feels like the old Manchester United under Alex Ferguson when it was, you, you, you'd be stoked because you just think, hey, they're finally going to lose a game and they will find a way to pull it out. And how how did they do it, Tommy?
4: Well, they did it with three goals in the last nine minutes. And Dan Spaseski, shout out, to him, friend of the podcast. Um he was integral really in a couple of the goals at least. He he rose to, to head in a goal from Cade Fernell's free kick, which which gave them a bit of a hole
1: It was a big time header. Yep.
4: Yeah, it was a it was a this is my moment, I'm taking it. The ball's the ball's up in the air, I'm getting my head to this by hook or by crook. And and that's what he did. He put it in and and then he won the penalty, which um was converted by Samim Fatahi at the end of the game, one of the youngsters that Sterling have got and and um, yeah, fair, fair play to the youngster. You come off the bench and, and you decide to step up in a moment, moment like that and take such a decisive spot kick. And, and he he really took that opportunity. And, and it's a three points, which, as you say, um, we, we've had a few of these moments this year, but we might look on that as a pivotal turning point in the title race in
1: 2023. The most surprising thing about that game for me was... Um there's the fact that Sterling scored three goals, and Becton. Can you guess the amount of times that Sterling have scored three goals this season? One. I was I was holding it up for you as well here, mate. It was three. They've scored three goals three <laughs> times this entire season, which which has been something that we've talked about, um, Tommy, in, in terms of them not being able to score as many goals as they potentially could. They've scored three goals twice and they needed three goals away from home. And that's that's the hardest part, right? That's the hardest part. You're looking at this at this hill that you've got to climb and it isn't, oh, we just need a goal. It's we need three and we haven't done this very often this season. And it just kind of shows the resilience that they've got there. You've also got to feel a little bit a little bit for the glory because it's been it's been quite a few times. And then you've talked about this as well, Tommy. It's been quite a few times where they've got into games and they've had a three one lead a 3-0 lead, uh, a a, a 2-1 lead, and they've had significant leads in the last parts of the game. And again, this might be the last part of of their development as young footballers. But they could legitimately have been challenging for this league. They've got the second best attack in this league. And it's been the moments where they've conceded these goals have just been brutal.
4: Well, yeah, they've conceded 49 on the season now and only Armadale have conceded more than 40. So um, that is a a big... um, Concern going into the the back end of the season, we speak about T, we speak about how goals win games and, and defenses win championships. But um, I, like I said on a few weeks ago, I, I suppose the hope that you had for glory was that they were just going to be able to blast out in a couple of these games and and get a get um, or oh, Joel and Jaden Gorman, um, Daniel Benny, and all involved in the play. Benny was fantastic again at the weekend. Um, I, I thought obviously the the young Joey's player, but. But look, um, unfortunately, when you have a habit of conceding goals, as the Glory have done based on their goals against column, you aren't always susceptible to conceding in bunches. And that's what they did on the weekend. One went in and then a second and a third went in in the final 10 minutes. And that's got to be a worrying thing that they've got to change. And, well, this weekend's the weekend to change it, isn't it? And. In terms of just uh, – it's just something I've noticed as well. They've actually lost more games than anybody else in the league now, which in such a tight season is also a- another statistic that's against them. So, look, there are some alarm bells ringing, I think, for Glory. Um, if I if I had stock, I would be very concerned. But then again, <laughs> if they do get the three points against Inglewood this weekend, I think they're going to breathe a lot easier, albeit that 11th-placed uh, playoff is still very much uh, in the offering for probably one of five or six teams down there.
2: Well, do you think, sorry, do you think with such a young squad because, I mean, you go two, three up, do you think there's that complacency there because they're a bit young or that management style of, oh, we're winning, all right, now we've considered a goal, another goal. Do you reckon they go to panic stations or such? Or
1: I don't think that's the case. I think I, I think with them, John Wormsley is a terrific coach and he's trying to get the best out of his players and right. he's looked at it and said, we... We have enough in here to just blow teams away. And so you're just going, cool, let's just keep blowing teams away. It, it, there's a different level of maturity that, that you need there and I don't think they've got those bastards in their team who are going to. Oh, the other team is the other teams been on top of the last ten minutes. Ah, my hamstring hurts. Like I don't think they have. I don't think they have that kind of stuff to break up play and do all that. And they they don't they don't need to do that because they're being trained and developed, and they and they There's a big focus on their attacking credentials. And so if you're up three 0 like again, like Sean, you can tell me the maths around this. Um, you know, there's a there's a, there's an idea that you just go cool, just make it six. But at the same time, if you're trying to make it six, there's even more holes that's in there, and another team can make it 3-1, and now you get a little bit nervous, so you're trying to make it four, and it becomes 3-2, and you're still trying to make it four. It becomes 3-3, and you're like... oh even more pressure comes on you to make it 4 and now you've conceded and it's now 4-3 and I think that's i think that's the biggest thing that's there I, I don't think that they're going to change their style of play in the last two games, I don't know how you look those kids in the face and say alright we've got this far, now we're all just <laughs> abandoning it and uh, we're now playing 4-4 uh, four, four, F and 2 and, uh, <laughs> and our full backs aren't going beyond halfway lines Alright we score one goal, everyone sit well, back yes. yeah. Yeah. The thing
4: for Glory is though, they've, they've got Lebib, they've got Magix, players who have been involved in the young Socceroos and the Joey's camp. So these are kids who have played at, at a high level They, they, they for, for their age. These are players that are used to playing in, in big games and, and in, in international fixtures. So that that's the surprising aspect for me. It's, it's not as if it's a team of, of players who have essentially all just come up from the under-18s or players who are relatively inexperienced. These are guys who have played in, in big games. So, look, I, I still think there's there's plenty of time for them, and and the goals that they do score obviously give them a big chance in games. The good thing for them is like the Inglewood situation we were talking about before. Glory have also got pivotal games. In fact, I think they play everybody in the bottom 4 in their last 3 games. So they play Floriett Coburn and Inglewood in their last 3 games. So like Inglewood it's kind of in their hands really. And, if, and and in a way if they don't win all of those games, then they probably do deserve to go down as as do Inglewood as do Coburn.
1: Last all right, are you
0: ready for your uh, yeah, I was just going to say you're ready for your stats and probability lesson go on all right so the most basic statistic is that uh the more goals you lead by the more likely you are to win um which is born out over millions and millions of games i will add though that there are teams that are just very good um with the lead and there are some teams that are very bad with the lead. So there there still can be something to what the, to the idea that you had that maybe they're not uh, experienced in the dark arts enough or not willing enough to do that. Um, There may be something even with, with Betham where teams that are younger maybe do let the, you know, the, the larger the lead, they can let it get, to their heads a little bit um I didn't see this game so I, I can't make a judgment call either way on that um but the other the more interesting one that I wanted to pick up on was that Tommy uh just mentioned one of the uh most uh, commonly uh, used phrases regarding offense and defense and that you know your your attack wins you games and your defense wins you leagues um and there is nothing across sport to suggest that um, that, that a good defence is more important than a good uh, attack, uh, regardless of, of whether it's in individual games or, or, or
1: in, in to win the league. I think I think we can have the chat off air, but basically, um, I remember reading about how in the last was like twenty something, thirty something years in NBA. It's always been a top five defense, um, and in the same as in the same as the
4: how many Premier League champions yeah, would it's, have it's, would it's, have conceded a bucket load of goals. Nah. And from a coaching perspective, better. And what is how do you sort of value uh, but, that?
0: But, but again, you you're you're straying far, far, far away from the original point, which is that it's m- more significantly more important than uh, scoring a lot of goals and yeah. it's just it's we- it's it's not true it, there, there's not a statistical significance that the teams with the best uh, attack uh, you you need both the, the, essentially the answer is you you generally need both um and and anyone that gets there with a uh, a good attack and and that are bad at the back they're they're an anomaly uh, they're an outlier um so, so similar yeah to, like you're not you're not going to see a team- what you're saying but
1: you don't want to see a team yeah, win the league they, of thirty-four gl- games, and they've only they know they've played thirty-four games. They've scored thirty-nine goals, and they've conceded ten, and they've won the league. That doesn't happen
0: yeah so there's so there's sort of analysis analyses um that's look statistics is more my photo than speaking or english but um the analyses that i've seen will like say how many times has a team that doesn't have a top five you know offense or defense won it and then like how many times that it hasn't been in the top three of both and there's 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 not a statistically significant difference but take take that for what you will
1: all right, last word from you, Benham.
2: I was just going to say on terms of that, <coughs> if you're a team that's leading up and you continue to try and score more goals, obviously the other teams are going to become more attacking, put more players up forward. So if you try and attack to score more, they're going to apply more. If your defense isn't good, you will leak goals. So it's like game management of we are up, we know this team may need to win this game, they're going to attack more. It's about, I can find that balance of we need to defend this new style they're going to play, but they create options to go forward. So I mean... Defence can win you leagues if done correctly, but obviously
1: you have to score goals. I think that's what Sean just finished saying. I'd to repeat it just, yeah. uh, just to dub yeah. it down no, for everybody no, else.
0: Yeah, so no, no, you, no you, just, you just fleshed it out. Um, but sorry, Kalichi, if, if we are on Last Thoughts, there was a story that you wanted me to um, to tell about our good friend Oh, yes, um, yes. So if, if, you, if you want me to jump into that now, um, uh, this is sort of just on the the World Cup that's just going on and up the Aussies. Uh, quite fortunate to get that 1-0 win, I thought, um, from watching that game. But it's not the World Cup podcast, so we won't talk too much about that. But... All you want's the three points at this stage, so we're we're happy with that. Um, but but uh, a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Benson, he's just moved over to Melbourne, uh, and he well actually one of the the, the only MPL game he's ever come down to was we were just he was asking if I was doing anything on the Friday night, and he came down to one of the football friends derbies uh, down at the E and D leaders, and he so that's obviously the NTC um, side versus Perth for those of you that don't know. Was that the three uh, three? Well, the 4-3? It was, yeah, it, it was just, a, and just an incredible game, and at the end of it, he was just like, like, I know you said these guys are good, but like, wow, that's, they're actually really good, like, and I was, and I was just saying, say, man, yeah, also, she's 15, and also, she's 16, like, <laughs> they're already that good, um, but anyway, so he sort of got his little, um, uh, the the idea ticking in his head that you know, this this women's football is pretty entertaining and um, he's taken the opportunity to buy World Cup tickets, uh, which he just got back from the game. Actually, it was sold out, apparently, the the Germany game. Um, And just, yeah, just said it was amazing, great atmosphere. Um, But before they went to the game, he had a friend who he was looking to um, or just asking if he wanted a ticket to come with them. Uh, And he sort of just gave the, well, why would I want to come and see women's football uh, line? And so then uh, Benson... Yeah. So Benson had uh, this, the ingenious idea to show him the French World Cup uh, ad, um, which again, for those of you that hasn't seen it, shows a bunch of highlights for the first minute and a bit of Mbappe scoring goals and uh, Griezmann taking it past players and uh, who was it? Kingsley Coman thundering one in from 25 yards uh, and just sort of all intercut with you know, fancy uh, special effects and uh, sounds and things. And then um, the twist at the end uh, shows that it was all basically CG, not, not I don't know whether CGI is the right word, uh, I'm not a tech whiz, but uh, digitally altered to to overlay the men on men's players on top of the French women's players. So it was, uh, it was the, the women's team that was scoring all these highlights. And there was like a, a, a scissor kick and a, a Olivier Giroud header that just looked so Olivier Giroud, just, you know, cushioning it, loving it over the keeper. Um, so yeah, basically revealed that this wasn't the men doing all this, it was the women. And if you haven't been following French football that closely, like you wouldn't have noticed. Uh, so he shows this to his mate. Who says? And uh, I wasn't there, but but uh, Benson's account of it was that it was right on the reveal that he said it. Um, that is like, okay, I don't get where this is going. I know men can play football, so how is this going to convince me to come and watch the a women's game? And I it just, just like, if, if the if the creators of that ad had have known uh, or had have seen that moment, they would have just just clapped their hands together and said, job done that was it like <laughs> that's what we were going for
1: yeah it's, it's absolutely beautiful and I love the fact that that's happened um, and yeah we tell you people we tell everybody go watch the games um, we were lucky to have a world cup here in Perth um, so I've got tickets, and you were at the game as well this weekend, weren't you, Tommy?
4: Yeah, I went Saturday. It was it was fantastic. Um, the ch- it was like a China home game, really. The um, the noise that they made throughout the whole game, it was quite um, it was quite a heartwarming moment actually, because um, you sort of just sat there, and and we're lo- we're used to seeing the sort of the local game, and it's maybe not as well attended um, as we'd like it. Um, because I think the football, the standard of football in the men's and the women's competition is actually very good, but for, for whatever reason, it maybe doesn't quite get the love that it deserves. But to really go there on the weekend and, and obviously yes there's going to be some traveling fans in the midst of that but to sit there and soak up that atmosphere and that energy that those fans and just look around at all the colors and and all that sort of stuff and listen to the sounds that a match day gives you it's something that's really special and um honestly I, I'd, I'd advise anybody if you can go and get tickets off the fifa website just go and get yourself to one of those games and just enjoy it it's um it could be a once in a lifetime thing we may never get a um, a men's or women's world cup again here in australia so go and check it out you won't regret it
1: all right, we're running a little bit long here, Sean. I've got to go through the amateur hour. It'll be very, very quick uh, with Mark Zagat, the all right, Sunday mate. League Vigilante. That's all right.
4: I've got the...
0: I've got the pug barking in the background. He wants his dinner. I'll just, I'll just leave with the thought. I didn't quite flesh it out before I was trying to say that, you know, with, you know, me having all this stuff going on uh, so much of this loads fallen on your shoulders and I will, will say it to you privately, but I want to sort of tell everybody that, yeah, you do a hell of a lot of work for this, um, which is just a passion project of ours, essentially, despite, you know, sponsors and and whatever they, they they're not covering the cost yet. We're doing it because we love it and, and you do an, an incredible job. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry, all of this is falling on on your shoulders, but you're doing a hell of a job with it.
1: Thanks, mate. I appreciate it and love you lots, bro. Also you, mate. We'll, uh, can I do the, the going out? We'll be
0: back with part three.
1: Sure. After this. And we're back for a really, really quick amateur hour. Uh, there obviously was the big game between North Perth and Emerald um, at Woodville, and we were lucky enough to have that game witnessed by Mark Saget, the Sunday League vigilante. Um and uh, we reached out to them and, and, and had them uh, decide to, to join us. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a difference. If you, I'm the only one who's allowed to talk. And, um, and here's how it goes. So, so, Mark, firstly, thank you so much for being on. Um, really, easily, easy question to start with. What, what did you make of the, uh, of the game?
6: I thought the game was good. I've watched some muck so far this season. But that was an entertaining contest. I love games with passion, and if it means seeing one or two ugly sides of the game because that passion spills over, then I'm all for it. I love it when players show personality and character. The best team won on the day, that's for sure. Were there things which could be improved upon? Look, is every vigorous lovemaking session going to blow Mrs. Vigilante's socks off? Most definitely not, but she always leaves with her money's worth, and that's all you can ask for.
1: Okay, uh, well, Glad, glad that, that she gets her money's worth every now and then. Um, in, in terms of the game, what was your, like, where do you rank it? Because you've seen quite a few Sunday League games so far. So, like, where does this game rank uh, in your eyes?
6: The game ranks as one of the best so far. Maybe not in terms of pure football, but like I said, passion and intensity. It helped that it was a top of the table clash. It's a crucial game, and the players showed how much they cared. Would I have had a better match day experience without the midlife crisis circus standing behind the goals? Probably. But I still had a good day. I tell you what, you've done well to keep your composure after being tripped up during the goal celebration. Thanks, mate. Had that happened to the vigilante, there would have been more broken teeth than a dentist's bin.
1: We don't condone violence, but I appreciate that. Um, and, and the last one was, um, look, you've obviously decided to take this on to your own Um take take this vigilante into your into your own hands. What, what's been the drive for that? Like, why did you decide to, to kind of be the Sunday League vigilante?
6: I wanted to be the Sunday League vigilante because I was tired of seeing the game being besmirched every week. Bogus excuses from players and coaches after a loss every other week, teams with underhand tactics that weren't being called out. Any injustice going on at any club during any game and I'll call it, and I'll call it in the name of Sunday League. I noticed that there was a real weak underbelly within the community. Too much, R. Ah, don't worry about the atrocious standards across the club. Did you spend at the bar? For too long now too many have been staying quiet on too many issues. One thing you will always get from me is honesty. Is your football club really just an excuse for middle-aged men to escape their loveless marriage for an afternoon and drink, until they throw up all over themselves? Then maybe reconsider your choices in life. Anyone out there listening I want you to take note now, thinking about playing a ringer? I'll be there. Thinking about wearing armour that doesn't match the color of your strip? I'll be there. Putting different colored tape on your sock to hold up your shin pads? You better believe I'll be there and I'll sing like a canary. Let's be real here, you need to be cut from a special cloth to do what I do, I mean, they don't call me Big Saxy for nothing.
1: Uh, not one to condone snitching, but I appreciate it. And, and the last one is, um, obviously, we had Ross Edwards on the show a couple weeks ago, um, and we have a right of reply that we like to have at the Perth Football Podcast, and uh, he, he did make a comment towards you. So did you have anything that you'd like to say back uh, to Ross Edwards?
6: Ross Edwards is a clout chaser, and you can tell him that from me. I was flabbergasted you actually had him on your show. I didn't even realize he escaped from my back pocket. He's been tucked in there nicely for two and a half years. Oh, wow. He is a harmless fella, is little Rossi. He still has his pink undies in a twist because I caught him and his backup dancers telling a few fibs on the Sunday League's page a while back. Instead of taking defeat like men, they obviously decided it was everyone else's fault. When I called them out and exposed them for it, they hated it. Actually, one or two of his little mates messaged me with some ugly threats. God, it was arousing. (laughs) You see, that's why a vigilante like myself is needed. So that's all losers like little Ross can't run around telling tall tales and making excuses about coming up short. Whoever organizes the guests on this show from now on, do me a favor. If you ever want Ross on this show again, ask me first, because I own him. Oh, wow. That can't even be denied. Two and a half years, and he still can't stomach me. Absolutely outstanding. Chin up, Ross. Big kisses.
1: Mark, thank you so much. Boy, anything
6: to add on to that? I mean,
4: yeah, I'm I'm speechless.
1: How do you add on to it? How talk. do you follow it up? <laughs> uh, we can't follow that up, ladies and gentlemen. That's the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. It's been a long one. Um, but, but yeah, thank you again, once again, to Ginger for coming on. Big thanks to Greg for coming on, for Sean for giving us a phone call as well and to the two men next to me and to you listeners. Thank you so much for, for listening. Again, if you want to hear more from us, we still have the uh, Full Time Whistle podcast. We've also got the On The Line podcast and a whole lot more on the Patreon. Um, and we're looking at doing some really cool stuff moving forward. Um, Sean and I are going to have a chat about Saudi Arabia buying all the players and do some research around that. And maybe you can join in for that one if you'd like, Tommy. Um, and we're also going to have a chat with a couple people who are at the World Cup as well to give you that World Cup flavor as well. So so uh, thank you all for listening. Any last words, uh, Betham?
2: <sighs> no, nothing for <from> me.
1: <laughs> and you, Sean? Sorry, Sean. And you, Tommy? All done. Nothing further, Your Honour. Toodle everybody. Remember, be careful and be kind. See ya. Bye.